Hi, I'm co-host Lois Donkwa, and this is the 100 Alumni Voices podcast, Stories That Inspire, where we explore the personal and professional journeys of a diverse group of 100 doctoral alumni from Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're joined by Ben Ackerman, PhD in biostatistics and current principal statistician at Janssen R&D. Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. It's uh, great to be here virtually with you. Thanks for taking the time and having me. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. I'm excited to learn about you as a fellow um, Bloomberg PhD folk. I'm excited to chat. Um, so, yeah. First, I'd love to hear what made you interested in pursuing a PhD in biostatistics and just learn more about your graduate work. Sure. Um, Yeah. What made me want to do a PhD in biostatistics? (laughs) Great, great question. Um, So coming out of undergrad, and I also went to Hopkins undergrad, um, I, I majored in public health, which... I realized as an undergrad is pretty unique. Uh, There aren't a lot of undergraduate programs in public health. Um, And so as an undergrad, I had exposure to a number of different facets of public health and um, had grown really passionate about wanting to do some research or develop some career to uh, help promote policies and research that improve population health. Um, and I'd taken a few courses in biostatistics and had a previous love of mathematics and statistics and didn't really know what to do with it until I had found biostatistics. And I guess the main reason I wanted to do a PhD was I still had no idea what exactly I wanted to do. And I, I sort of had this taste of what biostatistics was from my undergrad experience. and. Uh, a very sort of narrow understanding of what a career in biostatistics could look like. And I really just wanted to learn more and dive a lot deeper into the methods, the applications, what the many different career paths could look like. Because at the time, I I just didn't feel uh, fully equipped to make career decisions on what I could do. All I knew was that I I liked the field and I wanted to learn more. Yeah, I understand that. Something that's interesting is that, or interesting to me is that so oftentimes when we're introduced to something, it's about, it's like we're, we're introduced to specific topics. So like public health is a topic. Um, health policy is a topic. Um, immunization is a topic. But then biostats is like a technique methods-based type PhD. And I'm curious, or at least from my perspective, and I'm curious then how you as someone that was pursuing or that had a um, degree in public health, which is very topic-based in my brain, how that really influenced how you thought about the work you were doing in your doctorate, but then also what you saw yourself doing afterwards. Was it, yeah, I want to hear more about that. 
Yeah, that that's a great point. I think biostatistics itself contains a really wide spectrum of uh, careers of people who are drawn to it. I'd say on average, most people I met in graduate school who were pursuing degrees in biostatistics uh, were folks who came from mathematics backgrounds or applied mathematics backgrounds and found they wanted to do something uh, a little more substantive in, in terms of the applications as opposed to something more theoretical in math or statistics. Um, and so there were, there were others like myself who came more from like a, a topic focused background, like public health. Um, but my experience was that was a little less common. Um, and so I sort of saw it as there's a spectrum of, uh, in biostatistics, you can be more focused on the theory and the methods, or you can be sort of towards the applied end of almost epidemiology like. Um, and then there's a lot of space in between. And so from the start, I was very much towards the end of the spectrum of applied statistician. Um, and my motivation was really to understand the methods themselves and the gaps in the methods um, that come up when people are conducting research and using statistics as a tool in public health. And so I, I was very much towards the end of uh, what's not working with the methods we have, what are ways we can improve them so that our health research and the output of that research can have a better and broader impact. Yeah, that's so cool. And I I love that you <laughs> recognized how you might have been different from your peers, but then you were able to go, okay, but that's good that that's their lens and that's their approach, but then this is mine. And I'm curious how you um, I'm sure you had to do some types of mental gymnastics to remember that it was okay that you were approaching from a different perspective. And I'm curious how how you managed that, managed knowing that you were thinking about things differently than some of your peers. Oh, yes. A lot of, uh, <laughs> that's a good way to put it, a lot of mental gymnastics. Um, you know, it was it was challenging at times. A lot of the coursework in biostatistics and statistics is theoretical. Um, so there were times, especially towards the beginning of my graduate experience, where I felt either inadequate or ill-prepared when I'm taking all of these really heavy theoretical courses in statistics and real analysis and measure theory and things I don't even like know how to begin describing. Um, and I would have to constantly remind myself that, you know, any one part of the program is not the totality of the program. And the, the theory and the you know, complex math is foundational and is one aspect of being a, a well-trained statistician, but it isn't the, the full picture. Um, and so in those moments where I was you know, maybe struggling to grasp some of the theory or, um, you know, others coming from a pure math background were maybe more at home with, with the content, um, I would just try to remind myself that, uh, you know, this is one facet of, of the job and of the training. It's not all of it. If it was all of it, then I think I would have reconsidered my, my choices. Um, 
And I think I was also really fortunate to have a strong support network, both with peers and with faculty at Hopkins and in the biostatistics department. And I had mentors and role models who were more towards the applied end of the statistical spectrum as, I don't know, I'm not coining that as a phrase, but um, I, I had those mentors who, you know, have gone through degrees, have had to learn this material and are now very successful at what they do. Um, and, and they were also really great reminders and advocates for me to keep going when, uh, you know, it felt tough. Yeah, that's such a good point about how um, a specific moment in your PhD isn't necessarily, it doesn't represent the whole experience. It's a moment that will pass and then there will be other moments that will be better, sometimes worse, but it's all all part of the process. And we can really lean on the people in our community, whether they're peers or faculty or friends or family in different ways to really help validate us in our desired, our desires and our interests and things like that. Yeah. And I think it works, you know, both ways as well. There were also times where I felt, you know, at home with what we were being asked to do in the program, whether it was programming or data analysis, where I felt my experiences uh, were, you know, I was able to sort of flex my strengths and could also then be support for others who those areas were newer. Yeah. Also, being while you were talking, it just occurred to me, or I remembered a thought where being in a doctorate program is a good way of reminding yourself of all of the things you didn't think you could do and you're actively doing them daily. Or like when you look back in something like first year doing like biostats and epi classes where it's like a past version of yourself might have struggled, but here you are doing all right or learning how to digest that information. And it's a, it's a cool way to challenge yourself, but then also show yourself that you, you can do hard things. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were also times when I, I couldn't do hard things, right. you know, to, <laughs> to be completely honest, I you know, failed one or two courses in my first year. And um, I think in addition to realizing, you know, these are tough things and we can do them, also being able to recognize uh, I couldn't do this the first time or I really struggled and uh, got knocked down, but was able to get back up or was able to um, you know, rely on on my peers or my professors to provide support to help me get back up. Um, so it's it was a mix of both for sure. Yeah, I honestly I can um, that resonates with me as someone who has both proven to herself that I can do hard things. I also have proven to myself there are certain hard things that I cannot do and. <laughs> Uh, while they're uncomfortable and really disappointing in the moment, what I was able to learn from those was how not everything is for you and that's fine. But then also I think it's really helped me in my doctoral program right now where I, I kind of notice how we're all on different journeys, right? And it, it makes it easier not to compare myself to other people and stuff. But I'm curious then for you in those moments, what, like, what are lessons that you learned from 
realizing there were certain hard things that were hard. Yeah. I think one of the most important things I learned was how to be a little kinder to myself. Yeah. Especially at Hopkins and in any graduate program, uh, you know, everyone is very smart. Everyone is very driven and it can be very easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself or to feel sources of pressure externally, whether they're really there or not. Um, and in those moments where I struggled and failed, um, trying to remind myself that, uh, you know, this happens and it's, it doesn't mean I'm a flawed person or a bad researcher or I shouldn't be here. Uh, it means that I struggled and that's, that's part of the, the process and recognizing that other people struggle either in similar or different ways. It's, it's more about how you can learn from that and either, you know, try not to make the same mistake twice or try to approach things differently that make you stronger as opposed to trying to beat yourself up over not getting through things the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, being kind to yourself is one of the truest things, especially in moments where you're in a pressure cooker. I think it also helps you realize other people have their own things that they're struggling with. So it's both being kind to yourself and others. But that's a conversation I could talk about for hours. So we could continue to talk about that, but also in the direction of I'm interested in hearing about kind of the role of your mentors and how they kind of helped support you. But then also as you were thinking about what you wanted to do after Hopkins, how did all of these experiences influence what you were thinking for yourself? So I, I definitely, when I look back on my graduate experience and even undergraduate at Hopkins, but particularly graduate, I really don't think I would have succeeded or gotten through it if it wasn't for the mentorship that I had. I, I'm really grateful for, you know, whether it's the advisor I had for my research or faculty who taught classes, I gained a lot of important perspective from them, both professionally and personally, um, and really was able to develop a professional identity around what does it mean to be an applied statistician and what does it mean to want to, you know, help the world through statistics um, from their advice, from their guidance, from the opportunities they provided. Um, so I, I, I think I approached it almost as just like, I'm an, I'm an open book and I just want to sort of soak in as much uh, as you'll tell me and as much as you'll share with me from the people who um, who I had as mentors. And I just felt very lucky that people invested the time in me to want to see me succeed and, and want to see me develop an, an identity and a career. Yeah, no, I think that you answered it really well. And I, I also think that it's 
there's so much that we can learn from the experiences of those around us and mentors in particular. They, they've been in our shoes in some way, shape or form, maybe not in the exact same way, but either through their experience as a mentor and faculty person or through their own experience, they've seen a situation like yours before. And I think even for myself, it guides me in terms of like me thinking about what types of directions I'd want to go in after my program. So I get that. Yeah. And I know a lot of people um, perceive like if you're going into a PhD program, uh, there's this perception that you know what you want to do or you, you know what you want your career to be or what you want to research. I really had very little clue. <laughs> um, again, I, I finished college and I was like, I, I know there's a lot I don't know. I want to go learn a little more and, and figure it out later. Um, and so I think the thing I, I appreciated from my mentorship was just seeing different examples of what careers look like and what different paths look like and uh, what different perspectives look like and uh, just getting sort of a, a really well-rounded survey on what my options could be once I, once I finish. Um, and so even well into graduate school, I mean, I remember in my third year, I was thinking about my career and what I might want to do after finishing. And I still really didn't know. I knew there were topics I enjoyed researching. I knew there were certain levels of impact I wanted to have in, in research. Um, and it was just through watching others and gaining perspective that I was able to slowly build some guidance and direction as to what kinds of jobs might fit with this path. Um, and even still now, I mean, does anyone really know? I, I have a job and <laughs> I, I have some purpose in it and I enjoy it, but um, I think I still have a bit of that mentality of, uh, you know, I'm taking in everything that people will share with me and, and that might um, shape where I go next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's funny that people assume a PhD knows exactly what they're doing next, but my brain instantly went to the clip from Toy Story, which is at this point however many years old, but my brain went to um Buzz or Woody telling Buzz that he was falling with style and not flying. And maybe that's what PhDs do and we learn how to do, fall with style. Um yes. so <laughs> so uh, my last question for you, I'm curious what inspires you right now? Maybe um, maybe I'll, I'll speak like professionally. I think I think one thing that I find inspiring right now is uh, there's a lot of really neat and innovative research that is sort of pushing the bounds on what types of data we can use for health research and to gain insights as to what treatments work and what programs work. Um, industry sort of calls it real world data as, as a term of uh, data that aren't traditionally captured or uh, intended for research use, but are increasingly used to do so. And I find it inspiring that there 
there's so much work out there trying to tackle different types of issues in using data that are not traditional in research. Um, and there's a lot of exciting work out there that has shown that data we never thought we could use for these types of studies can actually teach us a lot and can teach us different things than we might learn from running a, a traditional randomized trial or uh, designing a traditional survey. So that's what I I look for inspiration in, uh, in sort of my professional statistical life. I certainly understand that. It's exhilarating to think about the possibilities our work can go in. So I get that. Uh, it's been so wonderful to chat with you today, Ben, to hear a little bit about your story and see similarities in our stories. So thanks so much for taking time today. Of course. Thank you again. And uh, best of luck in finishing your graduate <laughs> studies as well. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time again.